Either you believe Jesus' command to love our enemies, or you don't. Either you believe it is good, right, true, and applicable to every situation, or you don't. I hope you believe it and obey it. I'm Taylor Drake. And I'm Brian Jennings. Welcome to the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Thanks for joining us for this first mini-series, Love Our Neighbors Politically. We're going to be looking at the timeless commands and truths in Scripture and figuring out how to apply them in this polarizing culture we call America. This is the first episode in a miniseries where we're going to look at the 10 ways that you can love your neighbor politically. Hey, Brian. Hey, Taylor. How are you? I'm not bad. Yourself? I'm doing well. Sorry I locked us outside uh, earlier because I forgot my keys. Well, you know, it happens. At at least it was raining. At least it was raining. It could have been so much worse, like not raining. Yeah, that would have been been (laughs) terrible if it was not raining and I had remembered my keys. Uh, Sorry about that, but we're here. Hey, it happens. So the very first way that we can love our neighbor politically is to judge your own. What does that mean, and what does that look like? So there's this great passage in 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul is actually addressing this really difficult sin issue within the church. And there's so many of these Bible principles that were written for a specific moment, but they have application all over the place, and this is one of them. So Paul, uh, after he... Uh, disciplines and admonishes uh, those who were uh, living sinful lives in the church, uh, gets to the end of that section and he says, judge those inside the church, but it's no business of yours to judge those outside the church. So church, judge your own, but don't judge, you know, everybody else. That doesn't do any good. So the that that can be applied, though, to so many different ways. So for instance, should a company spend more time critiquing themselves or their competitors. You know, what does that look like if you spend your whole time, you know, ragging on your competitors? Right. And same thing for a family. Should this family spend more time evaluating themselves or criticizing their neighbors? Same thing for a sports team and on and on and on. So uh, just imagine what it would look like in a world where Republicans spent way more of their time critiquing themselves rather than critiquing the Democrats, and where Democrats spent way more time critiquing their own rather than criticizing the other. I mean, what do you think the percentage even is on that verse, critique our own versus criticize the other? I think it's a lot easier to point out the flaws in other people because we see our flaws in them, but we'd rather deal with it externally than actually taking it uh, to God and letting him kind of mine our heart through his Holy Spirit truly becoming human and who we're supposed to be in loving God and loving our neighbor. Why do you think we have a desire to call out other people's shortcomings or their mistakes or their or even their you know, bad theology, their heresy, how they're not doing things rightly, rather than addressing our own issues? Well, yeah, I think you're right. It's a lot easier to do that. There's no work required. Mm-hmm. I don't have to change anything about myself. Or for a political party, they don't have to change anything about the themselves to critique the other and you know there's there is this crazy world imagine living in where the political conventions actually existed to root out issues within them 
rather than to just cheerlead themselves and kind of rip the other, which is what it, we've become. And you know, most of us don't have any control over that, but we all have control over what we talk about and what yeah. we post on social media. And I find it extremely tiring to hear somebody from one party spend all of their social media capital ripping the other party. <laughs> what? Nobody uses Facebook like that. They're all level-headed <laughs> arguments, good presentations, constructive conversations. <laughs> yeah, but isn't it crazy? Have you ever had a time where you've seen somebody who, for instance, was maybe a Democrat and you knew that, but then suddenly they critiqued their own? Then you're like, oh, I'm going to pay attention now. Or if, you know, if a Republican... Uh, suddenly critique somebody from their own party, that's when we kind of stop and be like, oh, this actually seems sincere and genuine, and it might actually move the needle for somebody, whereas the other stuff doesn't move the needle at all. It just kind of piles on and is counterproductive. Definitely. I think a good party member is measured by their ability for self-critiquing their own platform. If you're able to recognize what is not the best in your own party or the things that need to change, I, that's a constructive party member. Um, and even though we're Christians talking about politics, again, as you said earlier, those principles can be applied to the church. What can we do better? As believers, what is that personal and communal discipleship as we're loving God and loving our neighbor uh, to get better? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, though. I would say that the majority of at least mainstream politics and its presentation really capitalizes on caricaturizing people. They show they're either angels or demons. There's no real middle ground when it comes to the political jargon uh, and presentations on media. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that's, you know, both parties want to portray the other in this caricature. That's a great word. Yeah. Uh, because if they can get that picture in the public's minds, then they've kind of won that, right. that battle. And they say that, oh, the other party or the other person or the other platform, that's the enemy. So it's this really sensationalized kind of propaganda that they're using ultimately. And as Christians, we're supposed to stay away from that. So how do we, this is now the second way that we love our neighbor politically, how do we reject that sensationalized fear or at least that depiction of here's the great evil that we're up against because of our political affiliation? Yeah, yeah. So so yeah, if you're taking notes at home, number two, reject sensationalized fear is the second way to love uh, our, our neighbor politically. Uh, and there's a, a chapter in the Bible that speaks so directly to this. There's actually quite a few. Really? But from uh, Exodus chapter one, there's this story of uh, Pharaoh, the, the king of Egypt, uh, has been there. And just a quick context is... Uh, Joseph, uh, we read in the last third of the book of Genesis, is sold to slavery into Egypt, and there he becomes a hero, has lots of trials and good and bad things, but he becomes a hero because he saves the world from a famine with his excellent planning and because he listened to God in all of that. He welcomes his family to come and take refuge in Egypt so they can survive the famine. The family grows and they are highly respected by all of, all of the Egyptians. But then the years pass and a new king of Egypt is there. And the text in Exodus 1 says that he knew nothing of Joseph uh, or the, the people of Israel. So he comes along and he doesn't have any clue as to who they, these people are. He doesn't know the history. He has no relationships. And... Uh, he, he says, uh, look, 
the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And then he later says, if war breaks out, the Israelites will join our enemies. They'll fight against us and leave the country. So that's when you have these suspicions, this paranoia that creeps in. And what it leads to is them uh, throwing the Israelites into slavery, into this awful forced labor. And then that even leads to where they are murdering babies who are born. And that leads to the miraculous birth of Moses and that whole story. But just to unpack this a little bit, uh, you have a, a king who sees a group of people who are different than him, and he doesn't know the history, and he doesn't have relationships, and so he has kind of a worst-case fear. When we were talking earlier in, before we started the, started the tape rolling here, I asked you if you wanted to keep the word sensationalized in yep. here or just use the phrase reject fear. You like sensationalized here. I really do. Um, I think sensationalized is really important because it betrays the intention of the fear. People can use fear to their advantage. And even scripture says that we're supposed to fear the Lord. Now, those types of fear are completely different, but I think certain types of fear are easier for us to embrace. Fear of the unknown, fear of the stranger even. So when you look at Pharaoh, he is sensationalizing his own fear. He's going beyond the reality, uh, which I would consider to be very sinful. We He is ultimately... Um, uh, lying about his neighbor. So he's using his own political power and upheaval to deal with his own fear, and it's affecting not just him and those around him, but the entire nation. Yeah, the, the whole—he's trying to seduce the whole nation to be okay with slavery and genocide. And I think it's important for us to recognize that most people listening to this podcast are going to be like, oh, well, such and such president did that, or oh, such and such political leader. And we just recognize that in the political world, fear is a very powerful tool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been used for a long time and is still used today. And we don't even have to get to current day just to see it replayed through history. Right. This whole story parallels the birth story of Jesus, right. where there's another person who's a king and he's very afraid and his name is Herod. And if you read history, he kills his own family members. And then he tries to kill Jesus and kills all of the, all of the toddlers uh, in the area trying to take out Jesus. It's that same type of fear that becomes a license for brutality. And so I think that as, as a believer in Jesus and as someone who wants to love my neighbor politically, what that means is when I hear a voice that calls me to fear someone, like a sensationalized fear, I have to reject that voice. And I think practically that means I need to turn off the radio and the TV many times. And I have to really guard against what social media do I let in my life and when do I need to quit following a page or maybe quit reading even from somebody who might be a Facebook friend because they are seducing me to fear someone that will lead to uh, me dehumanizing them and could even lead to brutality. And I like, I like that phrase I use, the, the seducing into fear, because I think if we identify fear, there's something empowering about that. So as Christians, we identify 
fear, but we also recognize that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. So we identify the fears that we have, but we give them to Christ. We don't take matters into our own hands, which in Scripture we see that anytime somebody takes matters into their own hands rather than giving them to God or seeking Him in prayer, it always ends badly. So it sounds like what you're saying is uh, rejecting the sensationalized fear is that if there's an intellectual and relational ignorance that's going to lead to paranoia and the not i wouldn't say the immediate but the natural um consequence of paranoia ultimately becomes a form of brutality pharaoh and herod both expressing and exercising their fear in just an awful way yeah absolutely and if you look at the the lot of the writings surrounding um those who were talking during the antebellum days and slavery they had to keep leaders had to keep convincing people to be afraid yeah. so that we could enslave and so that that same story just keeps getting replayed through culture so is it just that i don't have enough faith in god and that's why i'm afraid of everything yes <laughs> <laughs> But I think that's probably a simplistic answer in sure. that, you know, we, we do trust God, and that means that He has to have lordship of our lives, which yeah. means we are committed to loving people. Uh, one of uh, my friend Jerry, who is an elder here at Highland Park, said something years ago that I've never forgotten, and he uh, said, he actually wrote it on uh, the notes that we had for every elder meeting for a year because he really wanted to drive this point home, but it was this, don't criticize what you don't understand. Mm. And I thought that was so good. It's so easy when we don't understand a different culture or somebody from a different background or a different political uh, thought or way of thinking. And so without understanding, we just quickly criticize them. And that little phrase has helped me kind of slow down that criticism a little bit because I need that help. That actually leads us to the third way to love our neighbor politically, and that is engage before you contend. Can you unpack what that means to engage with people before we contend against them? Yeah, and I, and I got that phrase from this great book called Mending the Divide by uh, John Huggins and Jer Swigart. Uh, but the, the idea is that we quickly contend on social media or vocally with others and say, I believe this about this, or I'm for this law and against this law, or I hate what they did here, or I love what they did. We, we contend real loudly and we speak real loudly. Uh, that's kind of contending for things. And what they are begging us to do is to engage first. And again, we engage in these two ways that Pharaoh did not. We engage with information and we engage with relationships. So when somebody, um, and many people have come to me even over the last six months and said, hey, I'm trying to uh, figure out all of the racial stuff happening in America, and I'm troubled by this or bothered by this or frustrated by this or whatever it may be, and I've just begun asking them, are you engaging with, with helpful information and with relationships? In other words, are you reading great books um, that really challenge your thinking from a biblical perspective? And, and are you developing friendships and just befriending people and being kind to people so you can hear their story? If you can, if you can grow in those two ways, then you might be ready to contend at some point. Um, the other dangerous thing about contending before we engage, and this is just kind of a 
science study here of the, how the brain works, the moment I say something out loud, then I'm way more apt to defend it the rest of my life. Really? If I keep it quiet, then I might change my mind. If I post it on social media or say it out loud to a group of friends, then I'm apt to defend it till my dying breath because I don't want to be wrong. You know, it sounds like Scripture says something about, you know, being slow to speak or even a fool is seem wise if he just keeps quiet for a while. So then how important is it for us to not voice our opinions on certain things that we're ignorant of? Yeah, I think it's very important. Be You know, as soon as something happens culturally that's, you know, some kind of hot button, uh, we quickly, it seems like everybody, again, I'll use that word, is seduced to take a side quickly. Mm -hmm. And so then we all feel like we need to contend. And then once we contend, we've all chosen our side and we have to defend it forever. But I think there's such great value in saying, I'm going to actually not comment on that because I just don't know enough. Um, And I just to share a practical way that I did that about six or seven years ago, um, some folks were asking me about immigration issues. And I just said, you know what, I, I actually just don't know anything. I think I've, I've read little, you know, quotes, and I've seen the little memes, and I've seen, you know, little phrases and cliches. uh, But I haven't really engaged with deep level information, right, or talked with people who have gone through the immigration system or who work in our immigration system. And I just need to be quiet. And I was, I, I, I kind of embarked on this two or three year process that even continues to this day where, um, but I, I just didn't even talk about it publicly because I realized I was just ignorant. And mm. it's not, you know, it's not terrible to be ignorant about something. I do think it's ter- terrible to be ignorant and to yell about it. Uh, that's right. where we end up with lots of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Purposeful ignorance is not the same thing as not, just not being informed. If you're willfully not studying, reading, and engaging in those conversations, willful ignorance is a terrible thing. Yeah, and that season changed me. It kind of rocked me because I realized how wrong I was about so many of my thoughts about that issue. And the more I read and became informed— I realized that I was just way off base on lots of things, both biblically and just with information. And as I heard firsthand stories, uh, I was like, whoa, this issue is way different than I thought. And so that's just kind of helped me with other issues think like, man, I, I might be way off here unless I'm really listening to people and engaging with good information. Let's go ahead and land this plane. Today we looked at three of the 10 ways you can love your neighbor politically. One, judge your own. Two, reject sensationalized fear. And three, engage before you contend. We're ending this five minutes early so that you can take five minutes sometime today or tomorrow to uh, follow through with the action point. We want you to just pray and ask Jesus if he is Lord of your life in these three areas. If you have enjoyed this content or would like to find out about my book, Dancing in No Man's Land, Moving with Truth and Peace in a Hostile World, go to brianjenningsblog.com. I'm Taylor. I'm Brian. And this has been the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. And not losing our keys. (laughs) Yeah, remember your keys. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.